I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Cybersecurity Interviews. This is another episode in the Rising Stars series in cybersecurity, and we're speaking with Shannon Brazil. Shannon is a senior cybersecurity specialist working with a CERT of a Canadian Fortune 500. She has been in IT for over 12 years with the last three years in cybercrime investigations with law enforcement and recently moving to the private sector to focus on digital forensic analysis and investigations as well as incident response. As a hobby, Shannon dives deep into OSNET CTFs, help promote young women to enter STEM industry through Technovation, an innovation program for young entrepreneurs, and offers mentorship to those looking to venture into cybersecurity. She is also a course designer and developer with her local college that aims to arm the new generations with tactics, techniques, and knowledge in becoming experts in digital forensics investigations. In this episode, we discuss starting as a chef, skills learned from culinary arts, moving from IT to investigations, burnout and self-care, mentors she follows, why she mentors others, diversity and inclusion, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Shannon, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so if I, if I recall from my OSNET research, you're, you're based out of Canada. Yes, I am. I am based out of um out of Ottawa, Ontario, um, but currently am living in Canmore, Alberta to enjoy some of the mountains. Oh, beautiful. I love love that area. Many, many years ago, I got up there to Banff and different areas in Alberta and around the area for, for skiing and snowboarding. And everybody's like, oh, no, you really have to come back in the summer. Summer's where it's at. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's magical, uh, especially when you have some snow caps still on the peaks and it's just some white highlights in the background it's it's pretty nice it's, it's, it's really it's nice to nice. wake up to yeah, yeah. <laughs> well excellent you know we, we were just before we recorded we were talking about you know my purpose of starting the podcast many years ago was to kind of tell people there's a lot of different ways to get in the industry that there's not one way and i said you know this is this is right this this year that i really want to kind of showcase some talents of folks that have been showing others how to do it so I, you know, I really wanted to talk to you about some of the things that you're working on and because I, I've been kind of watching from afar, but I'd love for, for you to kind of describe you know, how did you, one, get started in cybersecurity? I saw you, you've started with the, the, uh, the Mounted Police, which was awesome. I've, I've gotten to see some of those business cards over the year, which are like playing cards. And then, um, you know, and now you're contributing back to the community, which I think is awesome. So kind of tell us a little bit about your journey and how you decided to kind of give to get. Yeah, sure. So I, I actually uh, got into information security on accident. It wasn't something that I strive to do at the beginning of, you know, choosing a career when, when you first graduate, I actually started in culinary management and I was a chef for about three years until I figured out that this wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I kind of like cooking for friends and family more than staying on my feet for 16 hours with like minimum wage pay. It was, it was really rough. Um, it's, it's, it's not an industry for everybody, but it's very, very cutthroat. So I decided to go back to school to learn information, like 
just IT work. I, I thought I was going to be, you know, be that, that lady who goes around people's offices and fixes their computer every day for the next like 30 years. Um, but once you get into information security, which is what I studied for at, at my college, you get a really good, um, well-rounded education. So uh, with the college, I was able to get some software, some hardware, networking. In, um, I had one course of uh, information security, which was mainly about cryptography, which I never use anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, you kind of get like some tidbits of where you can go. And, and uh, having some great teachers, I was inspired to continue into information security. And I got a job at uh, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, it, within their help desk as an IT analyst. Um, and um, I won a permanent position there after about four months. And um, I worked my butt off. I uh, was there. Um, I collaborated with some of my colleagues on creating documentation to aid people uh, when they called in for certain, <laughs> excuse me, certain uh, issues or certain unknown issues, like very uncommon things that we were seeing. And that kind of led me more into building up my fundamentals of an operating system and uh, like secure applications. Um, after that, I went into uh, went into like second level support, which was mainly like their SOC level, was computer operations and network operations, uh, supporting the hundreds of applications that the RCMP has. Um, and then after that, after about two years of shift work, which is super hard on someone's body, but I do uh, I do think it's a really good place to uh, to learn how to uh, manage yourself, um, uh, be able to uh, when you have downtime, learn a couple new techniques, learn uh, learn what the senior people are doing and how different management um, signatures can can really affect the teams and, and and so on, especially when you're with someone for 12 hours a day for like two weeks straight. Um, you get to really know some people and you get to really know what works and what doesn't work in, in, in team dynamics. Uh, it's super important uh, for soft skills. And then after that, I uh, went into their Linux team. So I was uh, building and supporting their Linux environment, uh, uh, both virtually and uh, their bare, bare metal boxes. And then after that, I got uh, seconded to the cybercrime investigations team, which was my introduction to cybersecurity. Um, I didn't get into cybersecurity to learn how to make the system better, but I did get into cybersecurity to uh, help the victims kind of clean up what was happening um, and, and get them a better understanding of what happened um, and how they can, they can rectify or who to talk to, um, be able to, uh, to kind of serve their clients better, uh, especially if their information if they were victimized uh, with a, a cyber attack. Um, it was very hard two years because you get to see, you, I got to see a lot of carnage at yeah. that point. Um, it, it's very heartbreaking because you kind of know when you, when you get into it, you kind of start seeing patterns and you see certain vulnerabilities that are being exploited and you, you want to desperately help them, but the mandate uh, for your, for your team isn't, to be the solution, it's to be 
is is the law part, the law enforcement part of of cyber attacks, um, and that's where I kind of felt like I was I was missing out on. I was missing out on seeing that journey of completion of seeing a solution being implemented and um, being able to uh, to see if your solution was working or if you know uh, how to be more aware of these cyber attacks and different attacks and different vulnerabilities and what kind of teams uh, need to be in constant communication to be able to assist each other. Um, so that's when I left the RCMP into the, and go into the private sector. And now I'm a, I'm a senior cybersecurity specialist. I uh, am on the incident response team for, uh, for my company. Um, I'm the digital forensic expert. I've accumulated all of these skills and knowledge to be able to be the solution now. And how much of that do you, do you get to do the solutions? I mean, I think that that is part of the challenges and I've certainly seen that in other areas of investigations. It's you kind of move on from one fire to another. And then you say, gosh, if I only had 10 minutes, I can, I can maybe try to help a bunch of people fireproof their house. Uh, do you find you're, you're able to offer some of those kind of remediation and betterment steps to people now? Absolutely. I feel like um, with the incident response, you are going from fire to fire, but I, really enjoy the follow-up of incidents. So the post-mortem, right? So our lessons learned, um, what can we do better? How we can improve our, our systems? Are our systems out of date? Are they, when were they designed? Were they designed 10 years ago when, you know, DDoS wasn't, you know, at the top of the list, ransomware wasn't something that's like hitting our back door every day. Um, no, they, they weren't. So you, you kind of have to remember like this solution worked 10 years ago, but we need something different and we need to move fast. Um, so I really enjoy that postmodern part of showcasing, you know, these different techniques uh, to, to implement in these different solutions and, and talk it out with, with some of our teams. So we have, you know, like our cyber threat intelligent team that are super awesome. So if I give them a terrible idea, they'll tell me right away, like Shannon, that this is not going to work. It's like, okay, back to the drawing board. And I, I really like that, that type of work. Are you finding yourself now as you're getting through you know, this portion of your career? It sounds like you're doing not only the case manager, but do you have any, any folks working for you in a capacity where you have to manage them? Um, actually, all of our teams are, are, we have different pods. So our our team will rotate on the duty officer or the uh, incident commander, uh, which is great because you get that leadership skill and you and you can lean on someone else who has the who has um, kind of a, a higher sense of skills uh, with when it comes to organization. It's not to say that I am the lead all the time, but there are a lot of times where because I am louder. I am more extroverted than some of my teammates. I do become the lead in some of these cases most of the time, but I, I always showcase the skills that my other teammates have that are a little more advanced than, than mine. So I'm a digital forensic expert, but I do have teammates that are, that's one of them's a log analyst expert. And he, he's absolutely amazing he does he does think like he can find things so fast um so i will always you know like 
I'll I'll take I'll take the the, the back seat when it comes to cases that require a lot of log analysis or network analysis or if someone if it's a case where we require a lot of threat intelligence I have another person on my team who's super great in that and I I am more than happy to put them in the spotlight and be able to push them forward um, and giving them pointers on how to present better and, and how to address issues and how else to think. Um, one of the things that that I find very funny is is it's really easy to teach tech to business people, but very hard to teach business to tech people. Um, so being uh, being on on both sides. Uh, it, you kind of have to remind uh, the teammates that no, you can't. You can't just shut this system down because you think it's a good idea. Like you have to think about the impacts of the business too. Yeah, I, I I'm, I, I'm one that always looks for confirmation bias. So, even though we've come from different paths into the first time we're talking, I'm so glad you said something that I completely agree with, uh, <laughs> because that is the problem. I think a lot of times, so much of this gets out of focus of, hey, you know, we have to look at this IOC and these TTPs and how far do we go? Sometimes it's, uh, you have to reframe it to, well, how, how is this gonna impact the business? You know, where do we stop? Where do we pivot? What are we really focused on and keeping operations going versus the excitement of chasing rabbits down holes? Yeah, exactly. And you know, like there there are some cases where it, it there there are really good ideas, but then you have to look at the timeline and say, okay, our deadline is 2 days and you want to implement something that will take you 4 days to do. Is this a good idea? Is this something that we can move over for future implementation? Um, and better understand the the possible impacts and maybe test them out before, you know, putting it over the prod. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy ideas. Um, you know, what, what, you know, when you look at where you're going in your career path, what would you say is, you know, kind of your end game? Like, where would you want to see yourself in a couple of years and as you develop and grow your career? Yeah, so I, um, I really love incident response and I really love digital forensics, but I know that the further into my career I go, like the higher I go in, in leadership, the, the less in the weeds I, I, I will be, which is why I, I wanted to kind of, in, plant my feet down in a platform uh, fitted for, for mentorship. Um, and so I, I, in the future, my, my goal would be to, to be a director or to be a CISO or whatever it is, whatever the title is at that point. But I would like to um, bring, like bring with me uh, some really awesome experts, uh, be around some, some amazing people people that are willing to to learn and to grow and uh, to lift each other up. Um, doesn't matter where it is really. Um, so so my goal is to be that director, that leader, you know, wherever that position may be um, and be able to mentor anybody who, who wants to be in cybersecurity, but also uh, who are currently in cybersecurity, but want to pivot into a different direction, or even just want to better their skills. That's, yeah. that's my goal. It's, you know, one of the, the most um, profound things that stuck with me when I started this podcast was actually in the first interview with Chris Pogue 
many, many years ago. It's actually going to be five years in a couple months. But he said, you know, you the really tr- the sign of leadership is, is is a leader that not only can kind of take charge, but somebody that can build a leader that can then in turn build other leaders. It's that scalability of that top down organization. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts around that? How, or how do you see developing some of your skills or where you want to focus some of your skills to be able to build other leaders? So some of the skills that I've been building up is uh, communication, empathy, and um, and listening, active listening, actually. Um, those skills, even so, during the men- mentorships that I've been that I've been providing, there are some people who require technical mentorship. So they just don't, they have the soft skills, they're great at presenting, they just don't have the fundamental understandings of some of the concepts that that are required in cybersecurity, which is totally fine because you can teach that. That's technical skills are are taught very easily. The soft skills, those types of of individuals that lack the confidence, um, that, that lack the presentation skills or being having a hard time articulating themselves. Um, those need a little bit more time, but they need more empathy and they need more active listening because there's a lot of things happening in everyone's lives that, that you don't know. There could be family members that are sick. There could be family members that are losing their jobs and they're, they're just struggling. They're stressed out. They have debt, you know, and you have to be really aware of of those lives, you have to be aware of those emotions and those feelings. And I find that having those skills of recognizing uh, hardship or recognizing how hard someone is working um, really goes a long way in anyone's leadership skills. Yeah, it's funny that you know, we talk a lot about in security, in particular in IR, you know, this kind of idea of situational awareness, but it, it certainly it applies to the people as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In looking back at maybe some of the, your, your past training, because I, I I happen to like to personally cook, and I, I find this this there's a strong connection with folks in information security when it comes to everything from making cocktails to barbecuing to cooking. There, there's something about deconstructing, reversing things, and putting them together. But there's also a process flow. There's this idea of preparation and tooling. Do you think anything mm-hmm. in your culinary arts training helped prepare you for your life in uh, security? Absolutely. I find so in when you're working in a restaurant, you have uh, you have rotations. So you have flips, Um, you have services that last, you know, an hour and then you have one hour of uh, you have like 20 minutes of downtime and then another wave comes in because those tables have gone and the servers or the hostess sat, you know, a, a new slew of, of guests or customers at, at your table. So now you're, you're ramping up to maybe serve about 10 tables at the same time. So you know that that wave is coming in. Um, in cybersecurity, it kind of prepared me to be calm in those fight or flight situations, to be able to see see it coming recognize when when things are going to start ramping up when thing when uh, when to to where to give my attention where to give priorities uh, to uh, to certain aspects of cybersecurity within that that project but also be the calm that that's required in order so that it doesn't get too crazy that 
no one is freaking out on the phones. Your customers are, are feel like they're safe with you. They, they feel like you are the professional. You're there to help. You're not there to make it worse. Um, and, and time management. Honestly, when, when you're cooking, you have to know that a, a baked potato will take longer than, than a medium rare steak, right? So you have to start something first and you have to, your greens are going to take five minutes. So you don't want to start your greens before your potatoes or your meats. Um, you want everything to be hot and ready uh, to go like at the same time. Um, so you have to deal with different streams and you have to deal with different responsibilities. Uh, same thing with cybersecurity. There's different data streams. You'll have, you'll have your, uh, your initial, uh, your initial, um, response to an incident as well as the investigation you'll have your digital forensics team you'll have your incident response team working in parallel your cyber intelligence team also working in parallel finding those iocs finding those leads and more information to get a better scope of the impact uh, of what you're working with and then you're starting your remediation process but you have to you're also doing your containment and your mitigation at the same time. Like there's so many things happening at once and that's the same thing for a kitchen. You have your sides, your mains, uh, your your desserts, your salads, your, your everything is happening all at once. But um, being the, the kitchen manager, the kitchen leader, as well as the incident response lead, you are that calm. You're, you are managing different streams at the same time and you are uh, ensuring proper flow and communication between all the all the teams so yeah it's those skills that i learned in the kitchen are so easily transferred over to cybersecurity. yeah I, I having studied and not done really anything in far depth of you but when you look at the process flows of a lot of as everywhere from where people move from stations as as things move through the kitchen from ticketing out and expediting it's it's like wow there really is a lot of similarity because there's so many parallel tasks and i think that's what people forget it's you know when you look at the incident response um planning and process it's it's not this waterfall there, there's things going on and there's you're jumping around from different steps and then a new thing comes in so you're constantly compartmentalizing what you're doing and shifting it off um but what you know that could that could certainly lead to mental anguish and burnout and stress how do you Absolutely. try to how do you manage some of your your mental well-being of that because this is one of the things i've seen over and over again is it's just people burning out in ir because they become less effective after crazy 160 hours a week you know straight they don't become that 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 focused <laughs> i um i strongly recommend um just acknowledging that you are hitting burnout. So if you acknowledge it and you recognize it, that you are about to burn out, um, voice it, say something. Um, I had uh, a couple of weeks back, I, I went was going through a lot of personal issues and it all happened all at once this one day. So I contacted my boss and I said, I need a mental health day and I, I don't wanna talk about it. And he's like, no problem, here you go take the day, let me know if you're coming in tomorrow. Um, I'll prep the team, you know, like just, you know, take your day, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but it, it really helped. Um, being at being in a, in a management position means that you are, um, you're being that leader that has the capabilities of making sure that your team doesn't burn out that your team is 100% capable 
of supporting everybody, like your, um, the rest of your team and what what you, they need to accomplish. But if you have a member that's that's burning out, that's not able to, you know, think anymore because they're mentally just drained, that productivity uh, is decreased and things start dropping. Um, so when it comes to alleviating that sense of burnout, um, I always recommend saying something, talking to somebody and taking those wellness days that are that are being offered, taking some vacation and don't feel bad that you're taking the vacation because you you really need it, um, even if you don't think you do. Yeah, what are some of the things, you know, we were talking about, you know, I, I'm very much of an outdoors person living in, in obviously mm. Boulder, Colorado, just getting out and away from the tech is beautiful. What are, what are yeah. some of the things you do to stop and recharge? So I do, I am a very outdoorsy person. So when I was living in Ottawa, um, there's not much in the valley that you can really do to uh, to walk away from. There's like, there's a couple of beaches, there's a couple um like trails that you can walk on, but nothing that like, you know, produces those endorphins that that some people are are striving for. So when I moved out to Canmore, Alberta, I am literally within 20 minutes of a trailhead to one of the most iconic peaks in Canmore. So uh, so like hauling, uh, ship's prowl, there's, a, there's uh, the, the three sisters peaks, you know, and there's canyons, there's rivers, there's lakes, there's camping, kayaking, canoeing, and in the winter there's skiing, snowshoeing, ice climbing, like there's so many things, physical things that will allow me to just unplug, even though like I do have my phone, I do have to do that rotation, but it's, it's nice to know that I can go up in the mountains and just breathe in the freshest air possible and just relax. And my only goal, like the only thing that I have to think about is getting up to the mountain and then getting down to the car. That's it. It's so simple and I love it. Yeah, I highly recommend if anybody really wants to think that, you know, it's stressful doing IR, uh, get up around 13,000 feet in like a back area where there's no cell phone service and getting really bad uh, uh, altitude sickness, then you start realizing what's real and not when you have to descend. Yeah, I've, I've been in those situations where you try to get out, but yet to the point is like, you start realizing what matters when you get in contact with the things that sometimes don't matter as much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you're when you're completely unplugged, the only thing that matters is like, like, where where are you going to go from here you know you have to climb down this massive rock like what's your next move yeah well, one of the things you do speaking of some of the moves that you've done is certainly mentoring others and, and things from cyber mentor dojo and and your own side of putting together um kind of different material and, and really where i picked up was some of the things that we've we've both kind of missed each other in different talk tracks for things like blue team village and other other outlets um what what was your, I guess, what was your first thing that you kind of looked at? Say, okay, I, if I'm going to start giving back, what was the the first kind of idea that you wanted to do, kind of talk on, share, and kind of elevate the discussion with others about? So I didn't really have a plan, and it was my 
boyfriend who told me, why don't you join Twitter? And I was like, what? Why would I join Twitter? <laughs> and then I joined it and I found this amazing community within uh, cybersecurity and information security. Like the people on there are just amazing. And I found their blogs. I found their websites. I found... Uh, I found how they were contributing and um, I was doing mentorship before, but I didn't know how well I could, I could do it outside of, of, of the company that I was working for. But I, I found some people and um, I felt that, um, you know, I, I have, I have the experience. I might as well, you know, try and teach something, but also find my own mentor at the same time. Um, so it was kind of a give and take. And when it came to Twitter, as I was tweeting about my experience in information security or cybersecurity, uh, I started getting a lot of responses, a lot of questions that, you know, I, I was beginning to repeat in answering. So I decided, you why not why not start a little blog about about this and start and, and really give um some feedback on how how i came to be in this position what people can do today to to uh, to start their their careers and it just kind of snowballed from there the more i talk the more uh the more um rocks i start to to overturn and and finding exactly like what these roadblocks that people are are talking about and being being the a mentor has really opened my eyes in terms of the struggles the different types of struggles that people are facing uh, trying to get into this this industry mm -hmm. and, and as you looked at some of you know there's look I, I agree with your twitter it's, it can always be a very um challenging let's say platform um there's good and bad that comes with it because of its it's just structure and nature um it is what it is um yeah. but how did you you know how did you find some of those positive voices who were some of those early people that you saw within our industry that you kind of latched on to and started following so the very first person i followed was Alyssa. Um, hard she, not to follow Alyssa. And so by the way, hard not don't to follow. try to follow her on stage. Always, always go before her. She's a, 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 oh one gosh. of the best public speakers. I, I, I after know. I see her speak, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Let's forget it. I know she's she is incredible. She's so smart, but she's also super humble too. Um, which which makes her like an even better person. That was the first person I ever followed. And the second person I followed was Gabby. And Gabby is just such a strong woman and she knows what she's talking about. Um, and she's so intimidating. Um, but those two ladies, um, they, they've really kind of, uh, they kind of helped me get out of my shyness when it came to, uh, to saying something in, in public or on a public platform, like any social media platform. Um, and they, they give me that drive. Cause you're, you're like, man, like if she can do it, I can do it. And you just, you just kind of, kind of like lift each other up at that point. And, and um, I've never seen anything, um, anything bad come out of either of two of, of their of their mouths or even like they even I've never seen them make a mistake but at the same time I know that they have so much experience in doing things that 
you know, it's a, it, it you kind of have to just do it. Yeah. Well, it, of course, like last week at Wallace Hacking Fest, Alyssa was like, all right, so you're, you're a cis straight white guy. You're going to talk about diversity in the industry. Fine. And she tweets about it to, you know, God knows how many people and then sits front and center next to John Strand. I was like, okay, bring it. And I, uh, that was intimidating, yeah. you know, using your hero to your heroes. But what, you know, one of the things that she was really encouraging me, she's been encouraging me to speak out on is, is the lack of diversity in this industry and, and to promote uh, underrepresented voices. You know, as, so as you've come up, I've certainly seen in the last 30 years of IT. I mean, we, we can talk about the disparity, but it's there. But do you see mm -hmm. it getting better? And what are some of the things that allies like myself can do better to continue to make it an inclusive environment? I do find it getting better. Um... I find that there are a lot of companies and educational programs that are including, that are they're making diversity their priority. And one of the things that that's so great to see is just the amount of acceptance, not only for like the hiring or the register office saying like, oh, we need more more diversity, but also the people in the in the companies or in the programs are becoming more accepting and they're 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 changing the way that they are approaching um these the diverse people right so they're they're more aware they're more sensitive they're more understanding they're more accepting um there's still a little bit of work to do they're still you know needing some hr programs on sensitivity and sexism and so on um but it would be wrong of me to say that they're not doing anything about it um so and i find that now we're i mean in the industry of cybersecurity, it's it's very male dominated, but there are other industries that are male, that are female dominated, such as nursing. Um, so if we can get rid of the stigmatism that a specific gender is only allowed to be in this place and accepted in this place, then you know, then we're working to, to a better tomorrow. If if we can just say anybody can be in cybersecurity, anybody can be in nursing, anybody can be a fireman, anybody can do what they want to be, um, then, you know, we're already working towards it. Yeah, I find it, it, it challenging, though, for me, I look at things sometimes overly logical in business sense, but we can't sit there and say there's a shortage of talent and then exclude a huge portion of the population in so many ways. Um, and they go, gosh, we just can't fill the roles. It's, um, I think the problem is those like me that have kind of paved the way for far too long. And it's like, we have to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's, it comes, it comes down to some very old, um, ways of thinking or, or ways of being taught that, that have been passed down through generations in, in families, right? And you kind of have to break yourself out of it. You have to recognize it first. Um, you have to break out of it yourself. Um, you know, like if someone is taught, if someone grew up in a family that, um, for example, um, only thought uh, women were, were good for like at home work or stay at home mothers or in the kitchen, the children 
or sponges. They will pick that up and they will carry that on unless they recognize that that's not right, unless they start to learn different views of life and they have to make those connections themselves. Yeah, it, it's really that that leading by example. And uh, it's funny seeing that now that my daughter's 10. And there's those nuances of how you have to be careful about language, um, because I think we all have inherent biases, things you pick up, particularly after me of 40 something years that certain things I say, even though I'm, I'm such a champion for it, as I have to stop and rethink, okay, am I saying something in, in a pattern or tense um, that could just be pre presenting a bias I didn't even know was really there? <laughs> yeah. So I greatly appreciate you taking your time with us today. Where can uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so uh, Twitter, obviously, my handle is at 4NZLady, so 4N6Lady. Um, I also have a Medium account, ForensicLady.Medium. And uh, I also have my um, my website, ForensicLady.com. Um, it's under construction, so there's only like one part of it that's available. I don't haven't had the time to to uh, put up the other pages yet, but that'll that'll come in due time. But all, all of my my contact information on there, like my Twitter, my LinkedIn, my Medium, are only a click away. Excellent. I'll be sure to put all that in the show notes so people can find you. And Shannon, thank you so much again for for this conversation today. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.